Previously on the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Are you, are you kidding me? So then I'm thirsty, so I go in the Hooley the, uh, <laughs> Manter. The Hooley refrigerator. The Hooley basement refrigerator. The refreshments uh, choice. <laughs> the refreshment center. So I go and look at, and I, I like Diet Coke or yeah. Diet Pepsi, whatever. And then there's Diet Right. Diet Right. Well, that's the cold I, stuff. There I, might be Diet Coke or Diet Pepsi on top of the fridge. I don't know. Right. Diet Right. I haven't We're seen, old school here. I haven't seen Diet Right since 1984 at Burger Chef on, on <laughs> Cleveland Avenue in, in Maslin, Ohio. Burger hey, Chef. Give me a cheeseburger and a Diet Right. Thought I'd bring back the uh, Burger Chef Diet Ride open because they're bringing you back to Washington D.C. this weekend. Uh, they love right. you so much. Uh, keeping your eye on Britt Hume and Andrea Mitchell and the uh, Dan Snyder box last week, uh, you kept them from throwing pate at each other. That uh, Dan's having you back <laughs> to do the Giants and the Redskins this week. You get a second look at uh, D.H. Simba Seven, the Lion King, quarterbacking for the Washington Redskins, and Terry McLaurin. And I don't know, maybe you'll get Urban Meyer in the. Uh, owner's booth again although my guess is if there are going to be any further discussions between him and dan snyder we don't even know if there were discussions but if there right. are going to be discussions uh, they would take place in a more clandestine way than they did the first time well I, and, and remember terry mcclorn came out and said that urban was a invited guest of his that was nice of terry to throw cover on the urban and dan snyder <laughs> you're meeting. you're speculating i am I'm hey, speculating. By the way, I was right. It is Ephesians on the armor of God in our discussion on Wednesday. So I was correct. Uh, I believe, <laughs> although it's only been 48 hours, that I said it was Ephesians. You can correct Father, me on hey. my pronunciation of Ephesians. You can correct me on that. You said a Thessalonians. I, I said Ephesians. Okay, that's going to be the open for Monday's edition. We'll go back and check the tape, okay? Well, hey, a Christian man uh, doesn't want to keep praise upon himself that's like right. you're doing right now. You that's want right. others to praise you. You know, love keeps no record of wrongs, so I obviously violated that, and it wasn't the first time either, brother. <laughs> Welcome to a Friday edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Uh, we have a football game coming up on us. It was interesting, Chris. You know, Ryan Day was talking the other day on the Ohio State campus uh, about how quickly this Clemson game gets on him. And I thought, well, it doesn't get on you as quickly as a game in the regular season. They're only a week apart. You've got almost three weeks to get ready for this one. But that first week for Coach Day, for Coach Sweeney, for any Coach Orgeron, too, uh, not so much Lincoln Riley, although he was at the Heisman with Jalen Hurts. This that's a whirlwind first week where you're doing all the award circuits and this, that, and the other, and you got recruiting, signing day was Wednesday and all that. So these guys have their game plans in. They've got a few practices in. Now the Buckeyes are going to finish up practicing on campus today, going to turn them loose. Uh, what's it like preparing for a bowl game as a player? Did you feel like uh, you had some where you really uh, enjoyed or at least found the extra time to prepare for an opponent productive. Did you feel like when you were preparing for a bowl game, you knew your opponent better than you knew him in the regular season? Uh, yeah, because of the extra time, or unless you're, you know, preparing for your opener against a really good team. Um, I, I think the biggest benefit, and most coaches will tell you this, and the importance of getting a bowl game, is like getting an extra mini spring practice in there. Yeah, yeah. So some of the guys that aren't playing – or didn't play much, or some of the guys that you're counting on the next year, you can really set up a competitive situation. I don't know if they still do that or not, to be honest with you. 
But at, uh, back when I was covering college football, uh, I remember speaking to a bunch of coaches that the biggest part of both preparation was obviously, yes, getting ready for the game. But the thing I think they were most excited about was the fact that they got extra practices to get their young guys in tune for next year. I mean, you're always thinking ahead of the future. Now, obviously, if you're going and preparing for the playoff, uh, that certainly is the, the precedent. And so I think one thing you have to be careful of is you want to be prepared, but you don't want to over-prepare. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I just think you want you want to do what you always do and stay within your your system of how you implement a game plan, uh, both offensively and defensively. And, you know, you can put a lot of time into it. I get that. But, you know, remember – Dabo Sweeney will add wrinkles uh, to his game plan, sure. just just like we know that uh, Ryan Day will add wrinkles to his. Okay, so let's discuss that because this is Ryan Day's first time in a college football playoff. Uh, this staff's first time. Larry Johnson was here in 2016, a couple others, Stadrawa, the offensive line coach. But the Clemson staff... Uh, is a staff that's been through it five years in a row now. They've got the same, if you want to call it a handicap, that Ohio State does. Buckeyes are losing Jeff Halfley. His attention, at least, is divided between Boston College and Ohio State, just like Clemson co-offensive coordinator Jeff Scott's attention is divided between his new job, head coach at South Florida, and his current job. Uh, Jeff Scott, though, does not call the plays at Clemson. Tony Elliott does, and Tony Elliott is staying so just in terms of you looking at it from the outside in, uh, how much should, if at all, Buckeye fans feel like Clemson has an advantage because they've been through this before? They know the routine. They know how to keep guys fresh and all that stuff in a playoff run, which is new to this Ohio State staff and most of these Ohio State players. I think there's a little bit to be said about experience in that. But uh, also, you know, it's funny that when the game starts, it comes down to once the ball is kicked, okay, it's just another football game, right? And yep. so it's who's going to make the crucial play at the crucial time. And when you and I'm going to put the playoffs like I put NFL games. It, it's this, okay? It's, it's, it's going to come down to seven or ten plays. We never know when those seven to ten plays happen during a game, but it's going to come down to seven to ten plays. And the other thing is it's going to – be who wins the last 10 minutes of the fourth quarter mm-hmm. that's 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 the nfl rule and i think that's going to be the playoff rule but i'm sure that ryan consulted coach meyer or maybe chip kelly even on you know their process as far as preparing for for the college football playoff and, and obviously i'm sure he has a good idea of what he wants to do and how he wants to do it but like all good coaches that coach at a high level, they leave no stone unturned. And so if there's any information that was offered or any information that he solicited, I'm sure he uh, implemented it with benefits to the program and getting ready for this game. Well, one thing about Ryan Day, he's exceedingly prepared. Uh, he was prepared to be a head coach. He had a definite idea in mind. He was uh, a lot more expansive Tuesday, uh, or rather Monday, on the fact that this defensive scheme – uh, which has certainly keyed their turnaround uh, numbers-wise defensively. This defensive scheme is a scheme that, as an offensive coordinator, he wanted employed. He set out to hire a staff that would play four down linemen, single high safety, you know, all those kinds of things yeah. that they've done with three corners on the field instead of two corners and a safety. 
But Spiels, I got to tell you, there was one question on uh, Monday that Ryan Day was not prepared for, not at all prepared for, and as you might expect, I was the one who asked it. Last thing, did you see where ESPN ranked Urban the 46th best college football coach of all time? I didn't see that, no. Or you feel fortunate you got to work for the 46th best college <laughs> Seems a little low. I don't know. Now, that was, uh, that was not Ryan Day who said that seems a little low. That was Steve Hellwagon of uh, Bucknuts.com who was sitting next to me. But uh, I couldn't let the press conference go without asking Ryan if he saw that Urban was ranked the 46th highest coach of all time. And I'm not going to let it go when I see Herbie out here in Phoenix, Spiels. I'm going to ask Herbie. I'm, I'm going to walk up to Herbie. I'm going to go, 46th? Like, really? Yeah. Even though Herbie, Herbie, Herbie was one of like 150 way. people on that panel, I'm sure he didn't yeah. have Urban for 46th. So Herbie said, what are you asking? Why are you asking me that? What are, you know? <laughs> uh, I, I think one thing about Ryan, like all good coaches, um, they are influenced by other good coaches, right? It's kind of like having kids. And good coaches, I think, inherit the good things that they learn from their coaches or who their influences uh, may be. For example, Urban took a lot from from Coach uh, Bruce, right? Mm -hmm. Urban, yep. Urban took a lot from Lou Holtz. And whatever, as far as mindset or mentality or game plan or the way you think, I've taken a lot. Not that I'm not a coach, but I know what's important in a football game and also how the game changes. You know, one thing that uh, – I implement or I would implement is exactly what Ryan Day has implemented where, you know, the passing game is so strong at the collegiate level and the NFL level. You do need to play three corners. You look at it, that nickel corner position, at least in the NFL, probably plays 75 to 80 percent of the plays mm -hmm. on defense. So that wasn't the case always. Right. It, it just it just wasn't. And the other thing that is, I think, and I talked to head coaches about this. We, we see this in college football against evenly matched teams. Teams can move the ball from the 35 to the 35. I mean, with good offenses. So what are you going to do once you get into that red zone area or approaching that red zone area? And how good are you defensively in those situations? Uh, and how good are you offensively? Are you kicking field goals or are you scoring touchdowns? So I think the biggest difference in, in football as a whole, and I think what coaches focus on, at least this is something I would focus on, red zone offense and red zone defense, uh, especially when you play against teams that can move the ball offensively. Well, and, uh, you know, the other thing is, uh, I think in this college football playoff semifinal, as we've alluded to, this Clemson-Ohio State, neither team has seen a team like they're going to see uh, at uh, whatever it is now. It used to be University of Phoenix Stadium. Um, on December the 28th. Clemson has not seen a team like Ohio State. Ohio State has seen teams closer to Clemson, but I don't think really uh, no, uh, I agree. anything close to what it is. And so that's going to be an interesting, for me, uh, watch in the first quarter is how do they adjust? Because I think you go into the game with a plan. I will say I think Clemson has the hardest contingency plan to make. Do they make a contingency plan for Chase Young? Because you look at Chase Young against... Uh, Michigan and against Wisconsin in the Big Ten title game. He didn't have any sacks. It's not to say that he wasn't impactful. I'm sure he was. But yeah. he was not as impactful as he was during the regular season. So this is like a, a intrigue on top of intrigue. Clemson's best offensive lineman 
is Jackson Carmen, an Ohio kid who picked Clemson. He said at the time because of the family atmosphere. And then it came out later that Dabo Sweeney said to him, hey, you know, you don't know how much longer Urban Meyer is going to coach at Ohio State. And back then people were like, what are you talking about? Well, Dabo was, turns out he was right because Urban would have been Jackson Carmen's coach for just a year. But Jackson Carmen has not allowed a sack all season. Now, he's a very big guy. He supposedly does not have very good lateral quickness, which what's Chase Young's best skill? It's getting around the edge and speed. Yeah. So does Clemson, I mean, how would you handle that if you're Clemson's coaches? You can devote a bunch of time in bowl prep to chipping Chase Young, helping on Chase Young, and that takes away certain things from you because if you're chipping him with Travis Etienne, you can't send ET out in a pass pattern as a safety valve. Or you can just say, eh, Jackson Carmen handled everybody we played. He's going to be able to handle Chase Young, and then you have to adjust on the fly. So that, I think, is the toughest pregame coaching decision to make in this game is what is Clemson going to plan to do with Chase Young, and how well do they adjust on the fly to Chase Young if he blows up what they think they're able to do? So this is what teams do in, in the NFL all the time, Bruce, is you start out thinking, okay, there's going to be times we're going to have to handle him one-on-one. If we have an off, if I'm Dabo, I'm sitting in the offensive meeting, we got an offensive tackle that hasn't given up a sack all year. Let him do his job. Yeah. Then if we have to adjust, then we will adjust. But right now, let him do his job, and let's run what we've run and trust our players to execute and outplay their players. So that's usually how it's done. And you have a contingency plan. Okay, we'll keep a tight end in, or we'll chip to him, or we'll slide guys to him. We'll have our center come off late if they're only bringing four, see how we can handle inside. But the the best thing about that is if Chase Young is one-on-one, then he's got to win those battles because if he is – as Joel Klatt calls them the best player in America, and Gus Johnson calls Chase the best play in America, best player in America, then he's going to have to uh, impact that game, especially if he's one-on-one. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean sex, because I'm a big guy in believing that, you know, if you if you force a high throw, that could lead to an interception, which is more yep. impactful than a sack. So there's a lot of ways Chase can affect the ball game, but if he's one-on-one and he's the best player in America and he was, uh, what, third in the Heisman? Yep, uh, fourth. Fourth, fourth in the Heisman, then he, he's got to win. And But the good news is that Ohio State has a bunch of other guys that are pretty darn good pass rushers also. And, you know, Clemson is – Trevor Lawrence, I mean, everybody was talking about him, number one pick overall, right? Mm-hmm. And, and Heisman Trophy – guy well he wasn't playing like that at the beginning of the season but i gotta tell you he's playing pretty darn good right now and yeah. he's peaking at the right time he is and uh clemson believes it has a better team this year than it had a year ago even though a year ago it had three first round picks on the defensive line and a fourth round pick on the defensive line they don't have that headline guy like they had with christian watkins cleveland farrell or Dexter Lawrence, and, uh, you know, you mentioned the Buckeye pass rush and other guys winning if Chase Young can't win, if Chase Young is double-teamed. We could see in this game uh, the coming-out party, even though Buckeye fans know about both of them, of a Tyreek Smith or of a Zach Harrison off the other edge because if you go back to that Fiesta Bowl in 2016, I remember going into that and everybody was like, oh, you got to watch out for Watkins and you got to watch out for Lawrence. And the star of that game was 99, was like, who's this feral kid? Like, holy yeah. smokes, is he great? Uh, yeah. So, you know, you get opportunities in these games 
because of the attention paid to star players on your team and what they've done through 13 games. Yeah, you know the other big challenge is in um, just thinking about the game is that Ohio State's not going to be tested downfield throwing like Clemson will test them. True. Yeah, I mean, they're going to take their shots, and they have the quarterback that can put the ball there. We know that he's not afraid to try to put it in tight windows, and they have the skill to chest, or to, excuse me, to test Arnett and Fuller and Akuda and all those guys. So that's going to be something I think that Ohio State really hasn't been threatened with all year by all their opponents, whether it's Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. Who really scared them? down the field who really constantly pushed or tested their coverability downfield now one way to eliminate any downfield passing because it takes a little longer to run because the routes are longer that's where you have chase young to be effective to even disrupt the timing of a pass route but that's the, that's something that i'm looking forward and if i'm working these bowl practices like we talked about earlier one thing i'm doing is making sure my corners and safeties and Linebackers understand that, hey, this isn't a hurry-up, get-rid-of-the-football, three-step-drop team. Now, they do have that ability, obviously, and they did that with Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins in the mm-hmm. Orange Bowl a few years ago. But this is a team, at least from what I've watched, and I haven't watched a lot, but when I do watch them, they will attack you down the field, man, and looking for those big trunk plays through the air. Yeah, and they like to get Justin Ross, their big six-four receiver, uh, it's all about matchups. They love to get him in the slot, uh, which means usually Sean Wade. But if they don't like that matchup, uh, they've got another big, tall receiver out wide, Justin Ross, uh, who they might try to get on Damon Arnett, a shorter corner. I don't yeah. think they want to throw at Jeff Okuda. So it's matchups all the way around. And I think one of the things that Ohio State's coaches, we talked about, you know, does Clemson have – uh, a dilemma in that can Jackson Carmen handle Chase Young or not? I think one of the things that Ohio State coaches will certainly be aware of, uh, but they don't know if it's a red herring or if it's something Clemson really plans to do, involves the tight end position. And a young man by the name of Brandon Galloway, and people may remember a year ago at this time, Dexter Lawrence, their outstanding nose tackle, was declared ineligible for the national championship game because of uh, he tested positive for a banned substance. Well, so did tight end Brandon Galloway, and that was a one-year suspension. Well, guess what? That year has expired, and Brandon Galloway, a tight end, is practicing with Clemson, is catching balls. He's been on the scout team all season long. He's not been able to play. And the fact that there's a player that didn't play all season who could impact a playoff game Spiels, you mentioned the LSU Ricky Jean Francois factor a couple weeks ago uh, on the podcast. He was a guy who was suspended for a year, and Les Miles said uh, famously, "What to you about his season-long suspension?" Uh, so Brennan says, "Well, I, I thought he who's this Ricky Jean Francois?" And Les Miles says, "Well, yeah, R- Ricky, Ricky, Ricky was suspended for the regular season." And uh, okay, so is he still suspended? Oh, no, no, no. It's the postseason. Ricky's yeah. good. Yeah, Ricky's good. And Brandon Galloway's good. And he's uh, he's a guy Clemson could throw out there because uh, they made big use of Jordan Leggett, their tight end, the last time Ohio State played. Their tight end really hasn't been featured this year, but you can't feature him if he's not out there. Yeah. And so that's something that, you know, your guy, Pete Werner, will have to be attentive to that. And it's just... 
Clemson presents a lot of problems, as does Ohio State. You got to worry about J.K. Dobbins. You got to worry about Jeremy Ruckert. You got to worry yeah. about a bunch of different wideouts. And Clemson has that, and you got to worry about with Clemson. You got to worry about Travis Etienne because he'll just eat you up on the ground if you just try yeah. to sell out to stop the and, pass. And has the ability to go a long way, right? It's like uh, you can't miss tackles on this kid because if you miss one or two tackles, he can make people miss in space, and he's off to the races. But that's the beauty of this game, right? It's the best against the best. And, it really and is. I mean, two thirteen and zero teams. Really a good matchup. Yeah, it's the best against the best. And, uh, and you know, obviously you can throw LSU in here, and I think you would say Oklahoma would be um, certainly a, an underdog against any of these teams. But this, this is the game that has the most interest to me, at least in the semifinals. And so uh, the, great players all around, two explosive offenses, great athletes all over the field. It's the first time, easily the first time, that Ohio State – has played somebody this year with the caliber of athlete that Ohio State brings every Saturday, that the caliber of athlete that Clemson will bring to the football game. Well, and I think dramatically different tests than in 2014, and and it's interesting to me that we're six years into the playoff. Clemson has won two titles. Alabama has won two titles. Ohio State is certainly well-positioned to win its second title of the playoff. So we could have a six-year playoff era with the three dominant programs in the country each winning twice. But this is a better Clemson team than the 2014 Alabama team, which had one wide out, Amari Cooper, which had, you know, a couple of good backs, Derrick Henry and uh, TJ Yeldon. But yeah. the quarterback, Blake Sims, was not Dexter Lawrence. I mean, Dexter Lawrence is a big time NFL quarterback, and, you know, Blake Sims is probably having a very productive life with a good well, job. Dexter somewhere. Lawrence is a defensive lineman for the New York Giants. Uh, did I say I meant Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Uh, you know, is is he's a he's a big time, big time, big time quarterback. He was the only quarterback in the country rated higher than Justin Fields coming out of high school two years ago. I wish uh, Dexter Lawrence was playing quarterback. Yeah, he'd be play. easy to catch. He'd be easy to catch. <laughs> Which, by the way, Trevor Lawrence averages five yards a carry. You know, we yeah. talk about Justin Fields and the difference that he makes. They will run Trevor Lawrence on zone reads. They, you have to honor oh, him down on the goal line. It's, it's a very, he's a very good athlete, good scrambler, and uh, there's just it's, it's just a great test and a great matchup. It's that's what I love about this game is that it's it's two great teams, and it's not like you know can we score fifty five or sixty on Michigan this year, which is the most intriguing question going into that game yeah. as of late. Right. Yeah. And so, boy, what's what's Wisconsin have to do to stay in it? We're not talking about that. We're talking about the best of the best going against each other, and the best college football players has as as units, as teams, not all individually, obviously, but as teams going against each other, and and that's that's the matchup. And Clemson hasn't seen anybody like Ohio State, like you mentioned, and for our uh, uh, sake. We, Ohio State, has not seen anybody close to Clemson's talent level. Uh, we've talked all year long, uh, with good reason, about Ohio State's defensive transformation. 71st in the country last year in total defense. Number two this year. They gave up 403 a year ago, 247 a game this year. Uh, points per game a year ago, it was 25.5. This year, it's 12.5. So we talked a lot about that. You're well familiar with that as Buckeye fans. Uh, Clemson, we have 
let you know, and you've probably have a, 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 an acquired awareness of their offensive skill. We've run through all their headliners. What you may not know is Clemson's defense is definitely, statistically at least, and I know they play in the ACC, and we've mentioned Ohio State's played a tougher schedule, but here are the numbers on Clemson's defense. Uh, they are number two in the country in yards per play allowed, under four yards per play. They're number one in points per game, 10.6. They're 12th in third down defense, which, Chris, you stress all the time, the importance of getting off the field on third down. And this is not a new occurrence. They have been a top 10 defense in the country each of the last three years. Brent Venables, their defensive coordinator, is to the defensive side of the football what we all believe and have seen Ryan Day be to the offensive side of the football the last three years. They have a very good defense, not with some of the headliners they had a year ago, but they have shown at least to this point an ability defensively to be rock solid. Absolutely. And that's why I want, I'm anxious to see the great receiving core that Ohio State has go against this. And, you know, the most impressive statistic uh, I read off about J.K. Dobbins, and I, hopefully he'll be able to do this against Clemson, is J.K. this year had over 1,000 yards after contact, which is amazing. That is amazing. It's, 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 you know, think about that. 1,000 yards after contact. And so now here's the thing. The contact is going to be elevated. And yeah, can he maintain that high level? And that's what we're going to watch and, and, and look for. So it's going to be awesome. So it's all the little things, Bruce. And I'm going back to my point. There's going to be seven to ten plays mm -hmm. within that game. And who makes the majority of those plays? And if it's close, who's going to win the last ten minutes of the fourth quarter? That's going to be your winner, and it's going to advance to the national championship game. Uh, the headliner for Ohio State on defense, of course, uh, pick your poison, Chase Young, Jeff Okuda, number one, number two uh, on the jersey. The uh, Clemson headliner is Isaiah Simmons, their linebacker. And this is uh, a situation, Chris, where your knowledge of the linebacker position will be invaluable because Simmons, number 11 for Clemson, um, was rated the 451st best prospect coming out of high school. He was a long jumper in high school, skinny kid, super, super fast. They play him all over the field. I saw on a, uh, one of the analytics sites, he took 104 snaps this year as a defensive lineman, 106 as a free safety, six as a cornerback, and Venables is not at all scared about putting him in the slot and covering a Chris Olave, an Austin Mack, a K.J. Hill is Ohio State's main slot guy, a linebacker covering a wide receiver in the slot. Now, this guy supposedly is unbelievably fast. I'm, you know, thinking that's win for Ohio State anytime they get a wide receiver matched up on a linebacker. But apparently this is what Clemson does all the time. And uh, speak to the versatility of this guy. If he can go 104 times on the D-line, 106 free safety, six as a corner, and then his other snaps at linebacker. Well, I mean, that's tremendous, and that's what, you know, they kind of the, the trend of the linebacker position because of the importance of throwing the football. And it's, it's that hybrid uh, safety linebacker position. But I'll say this, if you have a linebacker that can play D lineman, free safety and corner, I don't care. If he's in the slot and you can't win, then we're not good enough. I don't care how good he is. If you have a linebacker covering one of Ohio State's slot receivers, not mm -hmm. covering Dukes or Wake Forest or whoever's uh, 
slot guy, covering an Ohio State slot guy, forget about it. It's over. Then they win. Yeah, so you got to you got to kill that matchup. I mean, you got to win that nine out of ten times. Uh, he is the Butkus Award winner, so that's the guy to keep your eye on there. So a ton there to watch. Uh, two programs that dominate college football, along with Alabama, along with Georgia. And I don't know. Did you see the tweet this week from your colleagues at Fox? Uh, they took the last ten years in the Big Ten and counted league games only. So it's basically the Big Ten standings treating the past decade as one year. <laughs> and this was just, I can't let this go without, you know, throwing uh, kudos to Urban, Jim Tressel, um, even Luke Fickle's a part of this, Ryan Day's a part of this. In the last 10 years in the Big Ten spiels, Ohio State, number one, of course, in Big Ten games only, 74-10. and 10. Second best record belongs to Wisconsin, 64-20. and 20. Ohio yeah, State in 10 years is 10 games better than every other team in the Big Ten. That's amazing. And it's a testament to uh, what Ohio State is as far as tradition, what the standards are, and how the standards have been elevated. And the guy that elevated everything around here, and uh, whether you like it or don't like it or approve or don't approve, is Urban Meyer. He took a great program that Coach Trussell did when he won a national championship. Luke tried to do under very difficult circumstances. But when Urban came in, everything was elevated, including standards, expectations, and winning. And that's proven to be the case. And Ryan seems to have picked up right where Urban left off. Yeah, and speaking of those 10 losses, I mean, at least... I don't remember off the top of my head, but at least three of them had to be during the one year with Luke. To think that every other team in the Big Ten lost twice as many games or more as Ohio State in a 10-year period. Crazy. I think Luke, didn't he lose six or seven? Well, he did, but that's not just Big Ten games. I think he lost a, oh, yeah. he lost a non-league game as well. Uh, Michigan, by the way, if you want to know, uh, the fifth best record in the Big Ten over the last 10 years. 53 and 31. Surprising to me, Penn State was fourth. Michigan State had a better decade yeah. than Penn State. Two games better than than Penn State. So James Franklin staying there, I guess, at least for a year. So we'll see uh, what comes out of that one. Uh, let's shift to the NFL for a second. Joe Burrow wins the Heisman. It's now uh, assumed that Joe Burrow will be the Bengals. Number one pick. I was listening to Bengals line this week. Dave Lapham, your uh, old friend. Oh, you from must your... have been really bored. Well, I was out uh, taking my daughter to uh, soccer training, and I uh, flipped on Bengals line. Uh, and uh, Lap was saying that uh, you know he's got to go. They got to go. Joe Burrow, not Chase Young. Uh, he felt like Chase Young was single blocked by both Michigan and Wisconsin, and that uh, quarterback is a transformative figure. Um, so I got to thinking, okay, if you're going to draft Joe Burrow, that means Andy Dalton goodbye. But then Andy Dalton could come back next year at a very affordable number. Would it be wise for the Bengals to keep a veteran like Andy Dalton, who to me, Spiel, seems to have the, the mindset, the mentality he could handle. Uh, some quarterbacks can't. Their ego's such they can't handle transitioning to a backup. Would that be a toxic situation for Joe Burrow? Would that give Joe Burrow the best chance to succeed with the Cincinnati Bengals? How would you read that? Uh, don't mistake uh, being a, a great guy for not wanting to be a starter. Andy Dalton views himself as a starter in this league. And I think other teams view Andy Dalton 
as a starter in this league. And so I don't think Andy is going to go quietly in the night, which I don't think he should. And I, the thing I like about it, though, if you do, and the patience isn't there nowadays, but if you do draft Joe Burrow and you have Andy Dalton, at least from my perspective, I would feel like I wouldn't have to rush Joe Burrow right in there immediately, but it would kind of be like a, a situation that that question is always going to be hovering over your team, who's going to be the quarterback this week or next week. But I think Andy Dalton views himself as a starter. Uh, he should be getting starting money. Let's not forget that. There's a lot big difference in the paycheck of a starting quarterback in the National Football League than a backup quarterback. Yes, and but his so, uh, his contract for a year at least is set uh, unless you know he yeah. goes somewhere else and they want to make a long term commitment to Andy Dalton. Well, which I would I, say, I think, yeah, if you're a team I, and you want to commit to Andy Dalton long term at this stage of his career, like I don't know how much a fan base is going to embrace that. Well, uh, okay, but how many quarterbacks? How many teams in this league uh, need a quarterback? You think Jacksonville would like to have Andy Dalton as a starting quarterback, or are you going to hang with Gardner? Well, uh, they got a lot of money committed to Nick Foles, and to me, I was dead wrong saying Joe Burrow was uh, Andy Dalton, but I'm not wrong. I don't think saying I don't think Andy Dalton's Nick Foles. I mean, Nick Foles at least took a team to a Super Bowl. He had a, you know, he had a moment there in time. Uh, well, every chance that Nick Foles has gone to be a starter, yes, I know it worked out. Yeah, unless he's a backup. Andy signed yeah. for seventeen five. He's under contract through next season. He's not an unrestricted free agent until 2021. Right. Well, 17, five is a very pricey number for a backup quarterback, unless you have a rookie starter. Right. I I just, I think Andy would be a pro, but I think Andy wants to play. And so I just don't know behind the scenes how much he would be working on getting out of there, to be honest with you. That's just my opinion. All right. So let's put you in the Bengals front office and they're going to draft Joe Burrow. How do you set Joe Burrow up? best for success is the is his backup quarterback a crucial roster spot or do you say look the kids burrow's number one we're sticking with burrow um you know we're not concerned about uh, getting him the quote unquote playing mentor uh if i draft joe burrow and uh he's my starter day one just like tyler murray was a starter day one last year for the Arizona Cardinals, just like Baker Mayfield was starter from day or was he? No, he didn't start day one. He did not. No, they started Tyrod Taylor. Plan to get him in there pretty quick, right? And so, look, Joe Burrow's got to got to play and play early. That's that's what you have to do, in my opinion. Especially if you draft a guy number one overall, everybody knows he's going to be the guy. Uh, the thing about it is, Joe's what twenty four, be right? Is yes, he is. Yes. You he's know, younger than he's he's older than Lamar Jackson. Yeah, and 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 think about it. Joe's played a lot of played two years of football at a high level, right? Mm-hmm. Where Dwayne Haskins went into Washington, they didn't start him right away. Uh they they waited till you know the opportunity came. They fired Gruden and Callahan took over. I'm not sure Gruden really wanted Dwayne Haskins. I think Gruden wanted Colt McCoy actually to be a starting quarterback. That never worked out, but, you know, Joe, uh, Joe's played two years. Dwayne only played one year, and Joe's played two years at a high level and, and against great competition. I, I'm just saying for me, um, you know, I don't know if Andy wants to be a $17.5 million backup. Uh, I mean, he might have to, 
And I don't think Andy would make any waves publicly. I think he'd handle it like Eli Manning has handled his demotion in New York Giants with, with Daniel Brown. But Daniel I think, Jones. Uh, yeah, Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones, thank you. But I think from my perspective, if you draft Joe Burrow number one, then you commit to Joe Burrow first and foremost uh, the first day of minicamp that he walks into the building. Well, you can commit to him. I just wonder if you think it's important – if you think it's an important spot, his backup, and I don't mean in terms of winning, I just mean, you know, we saw with the Browns, they got Drew Stanton. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick is one of those guys that, I don't know if Fitzmagic yeah, I mean, looks at himself as a mentor. Not, I, don't, I don't think so, Bruce, in the sense that all backup quarterbacks are valuable to the starting quarterback. Sean Mannion in Minnesota is an invaluable resource to Kirk Cousins. I mean, all those guys, they work together, and they're just another set of, of eyes. Andy Dalton, you know, Andy, if Joe Burrow comes in, Andy Dalton's not going to help Joe Burrow beat him out. It might be a detriment. Yeah, Don't it can me. be. I mean, it can yeah. be. Guys like Seneca Wallace, he famously said in Cleveland, which, you know, shockingly there was dysfunction uh, in the Browns uh, organization years ago, <laughs> that he would not help Colt McCoy become a quarterback. So there you go. That's, why, uh, why would you help a guy take your job? Yeah, until but, it's, but I mean, Drew Stanton's not. Drew Stanton can't take that tack with Baker Mayfield. I, Drew Stanton comes there knowing he's got. I mean, Drew Stanton's right. been a career backup. I agree, and and so is uh, like Sean Mannion in Minnesota. He knows he's not going to beat Kirk Cousins out. So he's he he understands his role. I'm just not sure that Andy Dalton is going to be comfortable at that role. Well, Joe Burrow's the man, and uh, what a meteoric rise he has had! And uh, you know, it's been great. It's uh, it's really been something to watch. And you know, I mean, I'm going to feel cheated if we don't get Joe Burrow against Ohio State in the national championship game because I'm not ready to stop watching this Ohio State team. And you know, Jalen Hurts against Ohio State's a good story. It's not nearly as good a story as Joe Burrow trying to crown uh, what could be, you know, argued the greatest. Uh, season redemptive story comeback story of a of a college football player and there have been many of them but boy joe burrow's journey from ohio to louisiana and the way he's been adopted there and the g-e-a-u-x or b-u-r-r-e-a-u-x on the back of his jersey and winning the heisman and his speech and raising money for the athens food bank i mean this kid's got yeah. quite a story to tell and uh, how and great let me ask you this question before we move on how great has the transfer portal been for the elevation of play in college football? Oh, it's been tremendous. It's been tremendous. It's I love it. I know people might be, I love it. I mean, just think about this. If that rule or a system wasn't in place, Joe Burrow might be sitting on the bench. Yeah, he might have never gotten on the Hertz, field. Hurts would have never got a chance to show what he can do. Uh, who's the other? Who's the other? Justin uh, Fields. And, 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 yeah, and Justin. And yeah. even Trevor Lawrence forced the guy to transfer. Yes, Kelly Bryant started yeah. in the playoff for Clemson and then had to go Isn't to Missouri. That's amazing. Yeah. So I, I think it's, it's, it's great as far as the level of play and how it's raised in college football and what the stakes are for getting that guy. And it just elevates the quarterback position because, obviously, what we're seeing at the highest levels, the quarterback position is just important in college football as it is in the NFL, and in college football, that wasn't always the case. I think in the NFL, for the most part, that's always been the case. 
Yeah, and it complicates it for coaches for sure because as Ryan Day was saying on Monday, you know, now when you get uh, a four-star guy, uh, he has the knowledge that, hey, I'm good enough to play at Ohio State or Ohio State wouldn't have recruited me. I'm not playing at Ohio State because for whatever reason, somebody else they got is better. I'm going to go find my spot somewhere else. So why would I not? Look what Joe Burrow did it. Uh, Jalen Hurts did it at Alabama. Uh, Justin Herbert did it from Georgia to Washington. He's going to get picked high in the draft. The kid at Memphis is a transfer quarterback. Michigan puts nothing on the field but transfer quarterbacks. They don't have the success of a Justin Fields. But that's the new world order that we're in here. Is you got to you're almost Chris recruiting a quarterback, recruiting the quarterback position every year. Yeah, and uh, not only out of high school or out of uh, JUCOs, but out of the transfer portal. I guarantee you this: Ohio State has their eye on bringing in a transfer too. You can't have enough of them in the room. Yep. Yeah, uh, that that's. I think something I can say with 100% certainty. Uh, you can always email our show, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. Through my sources, Bruce. Through your sources, yes. <laughs> Excellent. Well, your sources are unimpeachable uh, on the NFL level, for sure. Uh, Spielman. to say that word, impeachable? Uh, yeah, well, we're allowed to say it, yeah. <laughs> uh, SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. You need to go to SpielmanandHooley.com to enter our premier at Sawmill Athletic Club couples membership giveaway. Thanks to Jim Miller, Regan Coyvistu at Premier and the Marquee Group at Premier as they are making available to you, a new member at Premier and a Spielman Hooley podcast listener, the chance to win a couples membership for the entire 2020 calendar year. You can swim indoors, you can swim outdoors, you can take spin, strength training, yoga, aerobics classes, all the latest fitness equipment, treadmills, ellipticals, steppers, you name it, they have it. And moms, this is a great thing for you because they offer two hours free childcare every single day. So you can uh, drop your little ones off, get a little peace of mind, uh, get the endorphins working, uh, release the stress, and it won't cost you a babysitter. So uh, go to SpielmanandHooley.com, click on the uh, Premier Contest Entry Form, Send us your email, and Chris and I will draw the winner after the first of the year, and you will be uh, in the best shape of your life, and you'll love Premier. It's a great, great place on Bethel Road near Sawmill, hence the name Premier at Sawmill Athletic Club. Uh, all right, email, Podcast at gmail.com. This comes from a listener in Illyria. His name is Greg. He says, guys, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. I don't want to take away the accomplishments of anybody, but if we know anything about college athletics, there is some shadiness So I have two questions. I don't hate Clemson. Dabo seems like a good guy. I certainly applaud his voice for our faith. But I don't view Clemson as a traditional power, and their rise has been, hmm. I wonder, has anyone ever charted a timeline on the rise of Clemson with ESPN's involvement in the creation of the ACC Network? He says the ACC's great in basketball. Seems strangely odd to me that their rise closely mirrors that of ESPN's deal with the ACC. Okay, he would have an argument if the product on the field wasn't amazing. So the product on the field is the reason for the rise of Clemson as opposed to any conspiracy theory involving ESPN. Yeah, the same check ESPN's giving Clemson, uh, they're giving to everybody else in the ACC, and nobody's doing with it uh, what Clemson is doing with it. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, I think you and I would have Dabo in our top 10 coaches of all time, maybe in our top five. I have, as we talked about with Urban, I have uh, I put greater weight on national championships now 
because as great as Woody, Bear, Paterno, all of them were, you didn't have to win a league championship in that era. Your bowl game was locked in. It was a poll title. If, if you ran into the absolute second best team or other disputed best team in college in your bowl game, it was coincidental. It was not formed by the playoff or by, even by the BCS. So I put greater weight on championships now. And for Dabo to come up and rise amid the Alabama monster and amid the Urban Meyer monster and win two titles at Clemson and be playing for a third, um, you know, I don't, uh, I don't question Dabo's accomplishments. So uh, his email continues. Likewise with Baylor, we're not that far removed from major scandals. Out of the blue, they're sniffing the college football playoff this year in the Big 12. Am I a bad guy for wondering? Love to hear your thoughts. Uh, I'm not a bad, bad guy, but the Big 12 was wide open. They're a Power 5 conference, and if they win it, uh, then they should be considered for it. Uh, and, and Matt Rule has done a good job of rebuilding uh, a program that was uh, they weren't they close to the death penalty or very close around yeah and they should have been close to around it yeah they were yeah yeah so um you know again i i i find it funny where i, I there might be a little bias in fox in the big 10 or in espn and the sec but the bottom line is the product has to be there first and foremost and for both those situations the product is there and i think for both uh situations uh they got it right with the four teams this year you know the biggest concern i would have about college football and i was reading an article on larry scott who's the commissioner of the pac-12 mm-hmm. that's a that's a conference that's in trouble it is i agree it's it's in trouble and it's getting swallowed up by all the attention that the SEC and the Big 12 and the, the Big 10 and to an extent the ACC receive because nobody cares about at least the perception that nobody cares about Pac-12 footballs out there. I mean, you know, so it's very important for the Pac-12 for USC to be good, UCLA to be good. You know, you can't have from from a good of the game point of view, not that I don't want them to do well, but if Utah and Colorado in Washington State and Oregon are your premier teams, I think that hurts the conference more than as opposed to having USC and UCLA. It would be akin to Indiana and Illinois and Wisconsin uh, being your, your best teams as opposed to Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State. Would well, you agree with that? Yes, I do. You need your headline programs to be great because when we think of ACC football, we think of Clemson. When you think of Big Ten football – and, you know, you look at that those Big Ten standings the last 10 years. Ohio State's 10 games better than everybody else. What if Ohio State was back there with Wisconsin 64-20 and 20 over yeah. the last 10 years and not a factor in the playoff? Uh, the SEC, the as deep as it is, Alabama has given the SEC an identity. You know, LSU lesser so. Maybe the LSU will take that mantle from Bama or share it with Bama. But uh, USC's been irrelevant since Pete Carroll left. UCLA's been irrelevant for a long time. You need your legacy program. The Big Ten would be a better league if Michigan would pick it up and yeah. and get closer to Ohio State than closer to Purdue, and that's yeah. what they are. So uh, people can say, you know, you want parity and all that. You For the good of your league, you really need that dominant program. And, and what goes into a dominant program? As I'm thinking about that, 
talk about Matt Rule at Baylor. I think he's got some of the things that you need in a dominant program. He's a young, charismatic guy. He, he's uh, somebody you'd want to play for. He runs a system players like to play. He can get you to the NFL if you're a wide receiver, if you're a NFL background. Yes, yeah. NFL background. Dabo Sweeney, young, charismatic guy. Urban Meyer, charismatic guy. Ryan Day, charismatic guy. Lincoln Riley, same thing. Uh, you got to relate to the modern player. You got to have, I think you got to have recent tradition. I don't mean like, you know, I don't, I don't think you appeal to anybody at Ohio State based on what Rex Kern and Archie Griffin did at no. Ohio State, but you can appeal to them on what Marshawn Lattimore and Joey Bosa did at Ohio State. And Baylor guys, even though they went through that scandal, you can show them RG3. We won the Heisman a couple years ago. No. Oklahoma's got recent history. Clemson's got recent history. So I think you need the charismatic coach. You obviously need the finances. You need a league, a power five league. It helps Matt Rule. He's in Texas. They got players right around him. Uh, Ohio oh. State, they got players right around him. Clemson on the Eastern Seaboard, and they got a ton of players right around him. So there are certain elements that play into, and USC has the money, the tradition, although, you know, getting a little far away from recent tradition with Reggie Bush yeah. and Matt Leinart, but they don't have the charismatic coach. And I think you got to have every piece in place to be relevant, like Clemson, Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia are relevant. Yeah. Back when Pete Carroll was there, I mean, like USC was the the football program in California, right? It, because that's where all the stars were hanging out at practice too, yep. and right. Pete, yep. And to Pete's credit, he he embraced that. Come on out, Snoop Dogg or yep. Will Ferrell or whoever. Come on out, hang out with those guys, you know. And that obviously that was a recruiting tool also. So it all comes down to recruiting. And one other program that needs to get it going and is Tom Herman in Texas. I yes. mean, they they need to get it going because Texas is the what, upper, is the king of the Big 12 as far as marketing, tradition, uh, fan base, all that, right? I mean, they're the only school besides Notre Dame that has its own dedicated network. They should be the Ohio State of the Big 12. And the, fact that, and the fact that Oklahoma is, and Oklahoma's a very good program and has a ton of tradition, Right, but, but Oklahoma should not be miles ahead of Texas. And Tom Herman's and been there right long, now. and they are, and they and yeah. and Tom Herman has been there long enough. Just as Harbaugh has been at Michigan long enough, uh, for the accomplishments do not match the resources at this point in time. And uh, Texas needs to get that fixed. And he's made changes at coordinator Chris Ash, the former uh, defensive coordinator of the Buckeyes national championship team in 2014, has been hired by Tom Herman. So the two coordinators from Urban's title team are back together in Texas, and we'll see how that one goes. It's not any different than than your faith life, really, as we transition uh, toward the end of our podcast. We always touch on our faith. There are elements that need to go into um, a productive, faithful, meaningful walk uh, in your faith. And for me, that involves quiet time in the morning. It involves Bible reading. It involves prayer. It involves surrounding myself with good men, uh, like Chris Spielman, like a lot of my friend, friends from church. It involves pouring truth into my mind, uh, whether it's um, not just in the morning Bible reading, it's when I'm in my car, what I'm listening to. Am I listening to podcasts that lift me up? Am I listening to, I have to discipline myself, Spiels, to stay away from too much political stuff on podcasts because it just introduces kind of a seed of uh, turmoil and discontent in my mind. I could listen to that stuff all day long. I'm fascinated yeah. by it. But there are just some things that you get, as you get to know yourself and as you get to know what works for you, much like a football system, much like a, an offensive and defensive scheme, you get to learn what works for you. You learn to 
I've learned to try to program my mind by putting good things into it, and that gives me a better chance of uh, yeah. returning the appreciation to Christ for what he's done for me. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think you're, you're, we're constantly feeding ourselves, right? And, and so what do you surround yourself with? And we, we talked about it three days in a row now, and I'm going back to it. I have a problem with cussing. I'm, I'm confessing this to our listeners. When I'm around a football situation, in a football meeting, talking about football, and I speak like a, a drunken sailor on leave back in 1941, mm. I have a problem with it. I've tried to get better. I address it. I've even imposed fines upon myself. And so what I realized is there's something about football, whether it's the passion or, you know, I grew up in a locker room for crying. I'm not making excuses. I got to rise above that. Yeah. And I do. Then I fall back into it. Then I do. Then I fall back into it. But you're absolutely right. It's what you surround yourself. It's if you're watching uh like there's a uh, series on showtime I, I watch uh called homeland it's it's a fascinating because you know i'm i'm in all that stuff it's, it's about national security and mm -hmm. infiltration and double crossing and all that but if there's a, a nudity scene come on i gotta have the discipline to fast forward through that mm -hmm. you know and and that's what i've tried to train myself to do and, and uh, uh honestly I've, I've done a really good job of that part of it um so yeah it's what what are you going to surround yourself what kind of music you're going to listen to you know and uh, it's it's everything it's every part of your life and i have what many of those what same you're your soul yeah so. and i have many of those same struggles and and one of my struggles that's uh you know really a struggle for me is uh my language i'm not as in as many environments that tempt me on the language side my language deteriorates uh, when I get frustrated, when I'm trying to get something accomplished that I can't get, you know, like putting my snowblade on my mower. I mean, boy, oh I'm boy, am I. Because yeah. I'm not laughing at you. I'm just laughing because that's what I want people to understand. Our struggles are your struggles because we can sit here and throw a few Bible verses at us. It doesn't make us any better or any worse than you. We struggle and we are the same uh, person, you know. God looks at all of us equally, and that's with love, and that's the cool thing about it. So, and that is to me is the amazing thing is when I, I I thought about this one time is what is God's greatest miracle, and you know we can go through the Bible and find many of them: the pillar of fire, the parting of the Red Sea, the raising of the dead. To me, the greatest miracle is, and this is what strengthens me in those moments where I lose it. Uh, the greatest miracle to me is God sees me at my best. He, he doesn't yeah. look at me and see me as the Bruce who swore when he couldn't get his snowblade on. He looks at yeah. me and he sees me as I am in his sight because of Jesus's forgiveness that I've claimed as my only, my only credential to be acceptable in God's sight. God sees me like that all the time. We put it in the yeah. sports realm. You and I see Scott Norwood as the guy who missed the winning field goal in the Super Bowl. We see Bill Buckner as the guy who let the ball go through his legs in the World Series. Yeah. God sees us when we sin perfect. So if you apply it to sports, he would see Bill Buckner as the all-star outfielder he always he was. He doesn't remember Bill Buckner 
if you're thinking in the sports realm, I'm making a little jump here, but he sees guys, he's, he's women, he sees his children at their best. And their best is not what they've done in their own strength. Their best is how he sees them because Jesus paid for their <laughs> sin debt at the cross. Well, that's the, the uh, we talked about this on a podcast, but I think it's it's worth mentioning. Like for you and me, and for ninety nine percent of our listeners, if we're have over the head of a family, and God says to us, "Okay, uh, you're going to have to die for your kids and your wife so that they can live," we we would all do that, right? Yep. I mean, yep. So say. This is really extreme, but I guess we're talking about something extreme if we're talking about salvation. Say that somebody comes in and murders your whole family, right? The kind of person that would do that. Mm -hmm. The guy would say to you, okay, you have to die for that guy that took everything away from you. I wouldn't be willing to do that, but that's, I think, the, the difference between God's love is it's for everybody, no matter how awful that person may or may not be and that there was a willingness to sacrifice himself uh for that person let alone good people like you and i <laughs> just kidding yeah no we're hey you know there's a reason why that uh, bumper sticker that many people have seen it says christians aren't perfect they're just forgiven folks yeah. <laughs> chris nobody knows better than chris spielman and Bruce Hooley, how imperfect Chris Spielman and Bruce Hooley are. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, and and God knows it too, but he doesn't see us that way, and he doesn't have to see you that way. And it's just as simple. I heard, you know, we're, we're at the Christmas season, Chris, and um, it's the baby Jesus is an easy Jesus to embrace because who doesn't love a baby? Right. Um, but, you know, if I have to have a mission in life, I, I want to have a mission in life, and my mission has become letting everybody know the essential nature of determining on an individual basis, making that individual choice and having an awareness that Jesus is not a baby in a manger. Jesus, as Chris said, is the, is the Jesus of Good Friday, the one who died for your sins, and he is the determiner of your eternal destiny. What you decide to do with him, who is he to you, is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Well, that's a that's a, a great uh, quote. I think that C.S. Lewis referenced. Um, you have to determine who he is to you. Yeah, here he is to me. Then obviously he backs it up with some great writings and uh, a lot of good stuff written by C.S. Lewis. I think C.S. Lewis wrote a speech for the University of Moscow uh, that's online. That uh, is basically apologetics 101. And Lee Strobel, A Case for Christ, uh, is a good book for anybody searching who was an atheist that went out to prove uh, that Christ wasn't who he was, who he said he was. And Lee Strobel is one of the most prominent Christian authors of our time. So if you're interested in that, check it out. Uh, yes. And by the way, uh, we will be back Monday with another edition of the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Chris will hopefully have uh, better uh, luck with the aviation industry than he's had recently or that I had on... Uh, my Tuesday flight to Arizona, we were delayed for two hours, but uh, we got Good it done. Safely. Arrived safely. Very happy to be here with family. I appreciate all the uh, airline workers and safety first. They do a great job. Absolutely. There. Hope you enjoy the podcast, folks. Patronize our sponsor, Stover Farms Custom Meats, FlashesOfun.com. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again on Monday.